church. And I, I guess I have to say a special hello and welcome to our Rochette campus, um, which is weird because I'm not there, but uh, it is so good to be with uh, all, all together as we uh, worship our God, as we dive into His Word. What a week it's been, right? What a week. It started out with all the, the hope and the fear and the worry and, and the, the uncertainty, right? And then we had a, an election that didn't end and kept going through the night and through the night. And then at the, the crux of the election when they announced the winners and then we've had the rest of the week with all the hope and the fear and the worry and the uncertainty about what the future holds, right? So in, in light of all of that, right, in light of all that could have happened, all that might happen, all that we hope never will happen, uh, we're going to spend our time together looking at our lives through the lens of the one thing that's constant and the one thing that will never change. And so as we do that, as we dive into God's Word and understand what God's Word says about us, what the Creator of everything who never changed, who is faithful and good, tells us about ourselves. And so as we do that, I just want to invite you to pray with me as we ask God uh, to teach us tonight. As we open up His Word and hear from Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word that is faithful and good and never changing. We thank you that you are constant. No matter what our lives may look like, no matter what our world may look like, you remain the same. And so, Jesus, as we dive into your word, as we, as we seek to know you, may you reveal yourself to us. May we hear from you. And may we know you more, Father. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so this weekend we're going to be looking at what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. What does it look like? What does a follower of Jesus look like? And it seems that in the church today in the U.S. that there are just so many terms thrown about. We've created our own language about what it means to follow Jesus. And we use lots of, of buzzwords uh, and, and words that, that are thrown around that sometimes we're not even quite sure what they mean, depending on who says them. And, and, and so you have words floating around like, I'm born again, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm a, a Jesus freak, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm all these things, right? And, and oftentimes we lump them together, assuming people are all trying to say the same thing. Um, but sometimes as we talk with people, we realize they're not quite saying the same thing and and what are they trying to say? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As a church, we say that, that we're following Jesus. What do we mean by that? What, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that look like? That's what we're going to look at this weekend. What does it really mean? And what does someone who follows Jesus look like? If somebody asks, how do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? If somebody says, is that person a follower of Jesus? Well, we're going to look at what that actually looks like. I want to invite you to read uh, God's Word with me. We're going to look in, in Titus 3. We're going to look at a couple of different passages in the New Testament. As Paul and Peter and other disciples and apostles are, are writing to the, the early church and telling them, this is what it means to follow Jesus. 
The early church was wrestling with these same things. So I've I've put my hope in Jesus. Now what? What does that look like for me? What 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 should my life look like? So we're going to start with Titus chapter three. That's in page nine eighteen of your chair Bible. I'd like to invite you to to read this passage with me. Starting in verse one. Verse one says, "Remind the believers to submit to the government and to its officers." I picked this passage and was planning this before I really put together when this would be and, and, and right after the election. But, but that stands true, right? Regardless of, of what God's called us to submit to our government, to our officers, right? And Paul's writing this to uh, people who are, he's telling them to submit to Caesar. Uh, and, and we were reminded last week as Matt was looking at Stephen and, and just the atrocities of the, the early church that uh, sometimes as bad as we think we have it, uh, we don't. But we're called to submit to government and its officers. Continue on. They should be obedient and always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of his grace, he has declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. It is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. As we read that passage, we're reminded of a couple things of what it means to follow Jesus. Part of it is just that, that we're called to do good. We're called to be good, good citizens, good neighbors. Right? When, when our neighbors, when our coworkers find out that we are followers of Jesus... When we're Christians, it, it should light a smile. And they're like, all right, I got a good neighbor. I got a good coworker. It should bring people joy when, if we're following Jesus. But uh, before we jump all the way in and really examine what, what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus, a good example, I, I figured we'll start with the bad and work our way back. Because in our world today, in our culture, we, we, we see lots of these characters, these, these bad examples of, of what are propped up as what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to be a Christian. And so we're going to look at a, a couple bad examples here. And as we look at the bad then, then, and knock those off and, and realize that that's not what we should be doing, we can move on to, to look at what it does mean to follow Jesus. All right, so the first bad example is the Pharisees. All right, we read about the Pharisees all through the New Testament, all through the Gospels. We see Jesus keeps interacting with them. And the Pharisees are obviously a bad example. We, we read that, you know, my, my kids hear about the Pharisees in Sunday school, and they're quick, oh, Pharisees are bad, right? Namely, they're bad because they're always arguing with Jesus. They didn't get it, so they're bad, right? And, and that's, that's what we often think as we look back at the example of the New Testament. When we read the Gospels, we see the Pharisees and they oppose Jesus, so therefore they're bad and we just leave it at that. But we have to look at who the Pharisees really were. The Pharisees uh, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees were the, the religious elite. 
These were the people who studied the law. We read about it in, in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Paul declares himself, I was a Pharisee and I worked my hardest. And he kind of lays out what that meant. He studied the scriptures. He memorized them. He did everything he could to follow them without screwing up. Follow the law perfectly. And the Pharisees went even as far as if the law was don't do this. They said, well, don't do this and this because this will lead you towards doing that. So we're not even get close to doing that by not doing this. And so they added all these extra laws to be perfect. So these guys, the Pharisees, were zealous about their faith. They studied the scriptures. They knew it by heart. They followed the laws. And because of it, they had this pride about them saying, I've got this. And that's where it all falls apart. And we see Matthew 23, 28, in one of his many interactions with the Pharisees, Jesus looks at them and, and tells them, outside it looks great, but your heart is far from me. Their hearts were full of pride and sin. It was all a, a, a big facade, a big charade as they looked the part. They did everything right. But their hearts were far from God. Now, clearly today we don't have traditional Pharisees walking around, right? I, I didn't see any today uh, in Dubuque. Uh, if we're looking strictly according to the New Testament law and the code. But we have tons of Pharisees all around us. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look in the mirror, oftentimes we fall right into that same trap because a pharisee is simply this it's somebody who's simply putting their hope in their ability to follow rules and be better than you they're the holier than thou i'm doing it well look how good i've done my life isn't falling to pieces i'm working hard at being obedient and i've got this resume of things that i've accomplished or things i haven't done and that's where i'm putting my hope and I can say that confidently because that was how I started my life. The, the first whole chunk of my life, even though I, I heard the true gospel from my parents, I quickly screwed that up. Right? And, and I went right to being a Pharisee, right? even with my siblings. Like I tried to be better than them and look down my nose at them like, ha I'm the good kid. You messed up. I'll tell mom about it. Right? That, that's the way I, I acted. And that continued on to everything else. Right? I'm, I'm going to be good enough. God... God couldn't possibly turn. Look how good I am. Right? But, but God isn't looking at our actions and how well we behave. He's looking at our heart. So we have the Pharisees. Secondly, we have what I like to call the punch card holders. And these guys, again, in the Bible, we see them again all through uh, the New Testament in the epistles in the early church. These are the people, um, they were counting on their heritage. Right? Even in interaction with Jesus, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a descendant of Abraham. You made a promise to him. I'm good to go. Right? And we, we see that. And again, in the, the early church, there's all these arguments. And, and a lot of the letters that Paul is writing, he's trying to correct the, these, these doctrines that are getting messed up. Because there's these arguments happening about what's right. Do we need to follow the Jewish law correctly? Do we need to be a Jew first so then I can follow Jesus all, all of this. And, and it's easy for us to look back and read those passages and, again, point out, like, you guys are, are missing the point. You're doing it wrong. You're the bad guys. Right? 
And we see that in, in Ephesians 2, right after the beginning of Ephesians 2, is one of the, I, I love the picture of the gospel that Paul paints in the beginning of Ephesians 2. And towards the end of that chapter in verse 19, he points and, and starts to talk about this divide between the Gentiles and the Jews. And he says this to the Gentiles. He said, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You were citizens along with all of God's holy people. You were members of God's family. And the Gentiles were members of God's family, not because of their heritage, not because of what they had done, but because they had put their hope in Jesus. And again, this doesn't look exactly the same today for us, but many people follow the same approach. I was raised blank, fill in the blank. I'm an American, therefore I'm... I'm one of God's chosen somehow, right? There, there's lots of different ways. I was raised in this tradition. I'm, I've been to church enough times. I, I treat it like I've got my little membership punch card, right? I'm part of the club, and as long as I go to church enough times and have enough punches on my card, I'm in, right? I've, I've done enough. I'm in the club. I'm part of the family. My, my grandpa was such a good person. My grandma was a, an amazing, right? We have all these different answers, but we're, we're again, putting our hope in some heritage some sense of belonging right it's my get in free card right and again it just comes another example of us putting our hope in some system or our ability to earn something now the the third and final negative example a bad example is is the jesus freaks and this one's a little bit harder, and, and, and please hear me out before you get mad at me and start storming out, because uh, like some of you, I grew up listening to DC Talks sing about Jesus Freaks and think that was awesome and want to be that. But the reason that this one is hard is because it does look appealing, right? And the examples that we see in the Bible of Jesus Freaks who are doing crazy things for God are all good examples, Right? We see, uh, last week we talked about Stephen, who uh, was such a Jesus freak that he stood up and boldly proclaimed the gospel, knowing that, that doing so meant his life. And we see Paul, who traveled all around the known world, risking life and limb to present the gospel. And we see Hebrews chapter 11, which is literally just a, a listing of example after example of people who followed Jesus, were Jesus freaks and did crazy things for God in the face of crazy stories. And we see that today, modern stories of people who do ridiculously crazy things for God. Sell everything, move to Africa and start an orphanage or, or stand up in the face of danger in crazy countries. And there, there's lots of great examples. So, so why am I saying this is one of the bad examples? Why am I causing you to question me? And I think it's this is because as followers of Jesus, we aren't supposed to do things that necessarily make sense. First Corinthians 1 18 says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. So the things that we do, the decisions that we make when we're trying to follow Jesus may seem crazy. So why is this a bad example? Because. The truth is that, that each of these examples, there's truth in them. When we, when we take this approach of wanting to be a Jesus freak and we're doing it, oftentimes it's because we want to do something for God. It's, it's all about us doing something to earn his favor or to make him happy or to, to somehow repay him for what he's done. 
And it's our motivation gets switched. You see, we have this, this special talent as humans to screw things up, right? We can, we can just take something really good and great and mess it up in an instant. We're, we're talented that way, right? And, and that's what we do with all of these. You see, each of these examples, there's good in them. There's truth in them. But when we switch the priority and we get them all turned around. You see, the Pharisees, we should be fanatics about living God's way, about knowing his word and doing things the way he says to do them. But as a response to God's love, not to earn it. And with the punch card, we should long to belong and to be with his people and to, to, to be part of the family. But it's a response to God's grace and not because of our heritage. And Jesus freaks, we should long to be used by him. To do great things for him. But it's a response to what he has already done for us and for his glory, not my own. You notice the, the, the constant trend in all of those. The main thrust in all is that we have to keep running back to the gospel. This is why we celebrated communion today. This is why we do that, to remember, because we have to keep coming back to the gospel because we so quickly, in our own hearts, in our own minds, get things switched around, put ourselves right back at the center of things and the purpose behind things. And pride creeps in, or, or legalism creeps in, or all these different things that, that we do because we lose fo- the focus on Jesus and what he's done for us. Right in the, mi- in the middle of that passage in, in Titus that we read, verses 4 and 5, uh, he says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life in the Holy Spirit. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, not because of who we know, but because of Jesus. I can't stress this enough. And as I mentioned, I personally made this mistake a lot in my life. Our obedience is a God-enabled response to His mercy. Our lives, the way we live our lives, should be a God-enabled response. It's not just our response to God because of what we've done. God did something awesome, so I want to repay Him. I want to do things. But it's a God-enabled response. That God's the one who works in me to change me, to enable me to do the things that He's called me to do. It's not my own ability, even after I've, I've come to Him and trusted in Him. Every day, it's a continual surrender, asking God to come in, to step into my life, to work. Asking God to step into my life to work in me and through me to do what he has called me to do. I've been reading uh, with some other guys through the Bible. We we hit Ezekiel uh, about a week or two ago. And and in the middle of Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19, as the the prophecy is about Israel and about their obedience. And the cool thing is in the middle of that, and Israel is showed throughout their history of failure to be able to obey. Right? And just and I can look at Israel and shake my head and then look at myself and really shake my head because I do the same thing, right? I have every reason to obey and somehow I still screw it up. 
I have everything reason to do things right and I still mess it up. And Ezekiel eleven nineteen says that God will give us a new heart that wants to obey. It's not in me. He says he actually says he performs open heart surgery. He's like, I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a new heart. And that new heart is what enables us to love God, to obey God. And so as we come to this point of recognizing, we've, we've got lots of bad examples, bad ideas that we quickly jump to. It all comes back to the gospel, remembering again that God, it's only because of what he did that gives us the ability, the desire to follow him. And so let's look at that. Let, let's look at what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is a faithful follower of Jesus? And this, is, again, is... is can be, it can be hard and it can be confusing as we read through God's Word and try to figure this all out and piece it all together because it doesn't always seem like a one-size-fits-all approach. Right, right, right in, within our church, there's some of you who have been following Jesus for a long time and whose lives reflect that. Some uh, of you have, have just started following Jesus within the last few years, and there's still a lot of things shaking up in your life as you're trying to wrestle with, what does my life look like now that I'm following Jesus? And some of you are sitting here going, I don't know if I really want to follow this Jesus guy. I don't know exactly what this is all about. And so all of us, as we look at this, it, it can be hard as we dig through God's Word and say, what, what does it mean for me? What do I do? And I think there, there's some hope for us. And I think there's some great things for us to learn as we read into God's Word. And I think there's some simple steps that we can take as we learn to follow Jesus. I want you to turn with me to, uh, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. And that is on uh, page 938 of your chair Bible. In this book, Peter writes this, he says, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That whole passage, I think, can be summed up with this, that faithful followers of Jesus are people who are growing. We're never, we've never arrived. And there's always things that we can add to our knowledge. We're seeking to know an unknowable God. There's always more to know as we dig into his word and seek to know him. And we add to our faith and self-control and patient endurance and love for others. There, there's so much there about what it means, much like we read in Titus, about just being good citizens and good neighbors. When, when we know someone who's a follower of Jesus, it, it should be a good thing to know them. But even with that, as we look at that list, it, it can get hard because, well, where do I start? Well, what's the right step as I seek to do this, as I seek to add to my knowledge and moral excellence and all of those things. How do I do it? How do I start? Well, I, I think really what it comes down to, I think there, there's two main keys of what it means to follow Jesus. And even though as we look around uh, our church and we see people who have been following Jesus forever and people who are just starting out and, and, and everywhere in between, 
although the, our knowledge might be different, although our ability to love and, 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 and the fruit of the Spirit might be different within each of us as we're, as we're growing with Jesus, as we're journeying with Jesus, as we're chasing after Him, I think there, there's some constant traits that should be true of us as we follow Jesus. So the first trait of a faithful follower of Jesus is that faithful followers of Jesus are committed to His Word. We have to be people of this book. This book, God's Word, is our source of power. It's our source of life. And we could go through verse after verse after verse that, that reminds us of that. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is our source of power. It's, it's, we're following Jesus. This is how we know who God is. He's revealed himself to us through his word. As followers of Jesus, we should be people who study and who know his word. I know many of you uh, are, are at least connected to technology, right? Some of you would proudly proclaim yourself techies. Others of you would proudly claim you're not. Right? But all of us have technology, right? whether it's a computer or a smartphone or, or something like that. Think of this example. I, I would challenge you to use your smartphone or your computer this week, right? And, and throughout the week, use it, um, but, but get rid of the charger, how, how well is that going to go for you, right? Tomorrow might be great. The next day, right, you're going to be a little bit more fearful about how often you're using it because you quickly see that power bar starting to, uh, to, to slide. Some of you might be like, that's no problem. I use it once a day and very rarely. But for lots of you, right, the more we use it, the more we recognize we need a source of power because that, that power bar doesn't last, Right? Now, that's us with God's Word. How, how about we change up? Don't throw the charger away. Just every morning, wake up and plug it in for like five minutes. Right? Plug into your source of power for just five minutes. How well does that go for you throughout the day? How well do you function? Right? That, it's kind of a comical analogy, but that, that's true of how we are with God's Word. This is our source of power. Being connected and knowing God. How well can we go through our life if we are not connected to Jesus? How well can we say, I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, what does he say? I don't know. I'm just waiting for Sunday and somebody's going to tell me something. Right? We've got to be people who dive in and know God's word. There's a, there's a great example in God's words of, of a church who did this. And they're called the Bereans in, in Acts 17. And this is in through Acts as you see Paul traveling and starting church. This little, just little blip is written about the Bereans. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, and says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message, and they searched the Scripture day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. They didn't just listen to Paul and Silas, like, oh, that sounds great. Yes. Right? They listened to Paul and Silas, and then they searched God's Word to say, Is, does this match up? Is this true? They were people of the book who study God's word and know it. 
And that's what we need to be as faithful followers of Jesus. We need to know God's word. We need to study it. We need to read it. We need to meditate on it. We need to know it. We need to have it memorized so that that it flows out of us. If we're followers of Jesus, then we've got to read his book. The second piece is that faithful followers of Jesus are committed to his people. So not only are they committed to his word, but they're committed to his people. We're called to be part of God's body. Right? And, and all through the New Testament, in Paul's writings, he, he references the church as the body of Christ and he uses the analogy of the body. Right? And, and, and we get that and we understand it. But, but think about it. If you were walking down the street and you saw a body part that wasn't connected to the rest of the body, you would just automatically know that that's not good. Right? And yet that, that's the way we often act as, as parts of God's body. Like, oh, well, I'm a part of his body. That's right. But I don't need to be connected to the rest of it. Well, it doesn't work that way. We're called to be part of his body. That means that we need to be connected to one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be together. So much of the New Testament, as you read through the letters, we're we're called to love one another. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to do all these one another things together as God's body. We can't do that if we're separated. We can't do that if we're not together. And so we want to be together. And as we are together, we're, we're called to love one another, encourage one another, and serve one another. We're called to use our gifts as the body, right? If I'm the knee, I should be bending and... Make, helping the leg move. Right, we're gifted. We have talents and abilities. Use them for the sake of the body. Our, our tagline, our motto as a church is, is, is helping people connect with God. And we take that very seriously as a church. We want to do that. We want to help people connect with God and figure out and, and grow in their relationship with Him. And we do that by, by two main ways. We really believe it's so important to help people connect with God's word and connect with God's people. Because as we're surrounded, as we're connected into the body of Christ, when, when whatever life throws our way hits us, we know how to respond. We we're surrounded with his body who help us through those things. And when we're connected to his word, no matter what life throws our way, we're connected to our power source. And those two things are so, so critical. And so we want to do this, and we want to be connected to one another. We want to be part of the body of Christ, carrying out God's purpose in this place. You might have seen these cards in the, uh, floating around church, and, and these are just, we, we call these our 15 seconds to connect cards. This is just one of the simple tools we use to trying to help people do that. Hey, whether you are brand new to Hope Church or whether you've been here for a while and you want to be connected to God's people and to God's word, we want to help you do that. And, and these cards, there's actually, if you, if there's at the Connection Center. You can always, if after the service, you can head out there and you can grab one. And it's just simply a way to, to, to fill out a card and give your name and contact number and saying, help me get connected. And we'll follow up with you and try to help you figure out what that means, whether it's serving on a team with people, using your gifts to, to glorify God and to, to grow his purpose. Or whether it's diving in with other people into God's Word. Whatever it is, we want to help you do that. I want to encourage you to do that. You see, remember the example of of the Jesus freaks. right? We always want to do that. We want to do things for God. We want to do great things. 
We want to be, we do want to be like the Pharisees, being zealous about God's word and about doing things God's way, but doing it with the right heart. It's not about doing huge things for Christ. It's not about being perfect. You see, we're, we're faithful followers of Jesus when we do all of the little things. When we allow Christ to have control. When we allow God's word to, to affect our everyday choices. God put each of us here within our own sphere of influence to be his hands, his feet. To live out his purpose for us in this place, in this time. Now, I don't know exactly what God has in store for your life. I don't know if he's, what He's planning to do in you and through you for His kingdom. He may have plans to do something big and crazy and, and earth-shattering. He may not. But what I do know and what I grow more and more confident of every day is that God has called us to live lives of faithful obedience knowing him and making him known would you stand and pray with me father god we thank you for your word we thank you for the fact that 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 we are your children we belong to your family you've adopted us and called us your sons and daughters not because of who we are Not because of what we've done, not because of our ability to be perfect or to do great things for you. But you have adopted us and you've made us your sons and daughters because of Jesus. And Jesus, we we come to you tonight praising you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, we come to you desiring to be people who know your word. And who are connected to your people. And are faithful followers of you. Seeking to be obedient in the little things. Seeking to allow you to change us and to make us yours. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.